Never trust a fart, eh? <laughs> what did you have to do? <laughs> Wipe after that. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of a follow-through. <laughs> <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. You do. It's my diet, I need a bit more fibre. <laughs> oh, oh shit. <laughs> With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional roller coaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunty Camp Down Under. What is, yeah, what is wow, it? What is that? I don't know. Hair? It looks like hair or Yeah, there you go. Oh, the screen, what was it? The screen was dirty. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Kinda look like Kind of look like a red pubic hair. There you go. Shit, how's that? Maybe you should have cleaned it from the start. <laughs> it might have helped, eh? <laughs> I'll see if it helps mine. Nah, you're still red. No, still fucked, Lee. Nah, man, we're just sorry. Just kicking out, doing nothing, really. And then uh, I just lost you then. Did you? Yeah, they're now you back now. Yeah, they're now back. Yeah, I don't, I'll see if I'm on Wi-Fi. Or... So I'm on 4G. I don't know. No, you're right. It just, it just went muffled. Did it? You might have just been here. Are you holding it? Yeah. You got a bit of electrical take I on a tripod? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd have something somewhere. I'll be able to lean it. I'll lean it up against another beer can in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that, as he gets another beer can, Josh Rogers joins me from well now warm Melbourne, Victoria. Close enough to Melbourne for those people who don't know Victoria. And I'm sitting at yeah. a beach house in northern New South Wales with the family. Kids are finally going to bed. And, uh, yeah, we want to catch up and kind of just uh, a recap of the recap of uh, of Nevada 2019. So, anyway, how are you, man? I'm good. Yourself? Yeah. I think about how's it. I should your be diet t- going after, how's your diet going after eating another tag? Oh, Crunchy, papery, plasticky. <laughs> oh man, I yeah. don't know. I don't know. I've had I've had plenty of thoughts, plenty of time to think about it since being back. And I mean, obviously, we don't take long to settle on it because we're already planning next year. So it's like, oh well, that one's done. Let's move on. <laughs> we hadn't even we hadn't even left Nevada yet, and we're talking <laughs> next year. Yeah, I know. So, well, I think I think the biggest thing. You know, for starters, as we had one hell of a trip, you know, as uh, as the last few little recordings have shown, you know, we had fun, you know, right through the whole the whole trip. But it was it was a tough eighteen days. It was it wasn't easy by any by any means. It was uh, something very new for us. And you know, looking back, there's probably a couple of things I'd change. What about you? Yeah. Uh, look. Uh. So this is where it gets difficult because we've covered this off in a couple of different chats yeah, right. now with different people. So where for I... me, I think I made a mistake going into it thinking that mule deer were going to be a different type of deer and that when they need to be different, treated differently. But reality is they weren't. Deer, deer are fundamentally just deer and we should have just treated it the same as what our knowledge base and experience mm. dictated, which is what we fell back on after three or four days and and it ended up coming through so the first three days we lost by sort of chasing a bit of a dream in getting to <laughs> over twelve thousand feet we were going to find a giant there we were going to have it all done hike off the mountain and move on to colorado within the first five days so <laughs> big grand plans <laughs> good work Craig. The, re- the reality is we got to that elevation we we seen no deer. We seen all those big horn sheep. 
then the following morning we spotted that deer down low, uh, persisted up high a bit longer, then we decided to drop down, we found the deer, but unfortunately we'd lost four days, and four days on an 18-day trip, given yeah, the a, weather impacts, given the, it's a good the movement we yeah, especially like we move from one one range to the next or the mountain line that come in and was impacting an area, like all of these influences, time time was critical, particularly yeah. early in it. Yeah. So And it didn't Yeah. I found it funny like, you know, throughout like it kinda seemed to take its time. Like it was oh yeah, no, we still got this many days and you yeah, know, probably the first initial week or bit was sort of like do we stay? Do we go to Colorado? Like, do we? And and obviously, as we've as was mentioned, we you know we made the decision not to try and learn learn the game again and stick to you know what will slowly working out being staying in Nevada. So it was sort of I don't know I look I look back at a couple of you know decisions that I made. Or you know we eventually made them together, but I suppose I was the instigator of them. Um, you know it was sort of hard when you're seeing a deer and. It was hard to, to leave them, but, you know, looking back, yeah, maybe we stuck out a couple more days than we should have, but it was just as easy to, you know, take that one more hike up to, you know, to one of the ridges and, and, it, and it all come on, you know, it was all to happen. So it was sort of, I guess that's what we were sort of banking on. Um, and then obviously we threw that, those last couple of days there, we kind of just threw it up in the air and, you know, spun the map around in a circle and pointed it, pointed a spot and sort of said, well, all right, oh, let's try and get up here. So... I guess that, you know, we probably scrambled those last few days, I suppose. Yeah, but we found deer up there too. But the mm. weather coming bad, the final two days was just destroyed by weather. Yeah. So yeah. it went from um, almost peak summer, really. Like it was hot. Those hot. early days were hot. really hot. Well, that, yeah. hike, that then, hike we did, that hike we did up that day that we covered, you know, that was hot. What was it, 88 yeah. or 90 degrees Fahrenheit, whatever that works out to be. But, you know, walking seven mile with packs on, that was that was brutal. Yeah, well, that, and that was middle of the day too. So yeah. we chose to walk, walk at the hottest part of the day. So Not the waste hunting um, time sort of thing. Like our peak periods were yeah. an hour after sun up and an hour before um, sundown. So, so, you know, it didn't have yeah. a lot of time. So we chose not to waste that by, you know, obviously moving spots within that period. Yeah, um, yeah, and then obviously the final two days were spoiled by weather that it was nearly snowing, so it went from one extreme to the other. Yeah, and then not only that, it was that front brought through rain and wind and all sorts of conditions that no deer is going to be feeding in that type of weather. Yeah, yeah. so they're just going to hunker down and wait for it to to pass through. Um, so those final two days where we just sort of threw a dart at a map it was just a Hail Mary really yeah. and it didn't come off for us. So, no, but, it didn't and, and it could have and, you know, we'd done that a couple of times and it, they nearly did so it was sort of, we had, yeah. you know, we, we, we used a bit of local knowledge that we caught on the track, you know, a couple of guys yeah. sort of dull chasing elk and sort of, we were heading one way and they said, look mate, we're sorry but we haven't seen a deer up here for, you know, for, for a few weeks so, you know, we took that on the chin and thought, right, oh, well, they helped us out and, yeah, we didn't realise we we drove. You know, I think the last bit of recording I caught up on the mountain was the second last night, and that's when the you know as you heard that's you know sort of the wind was there, and yeah, it was just shitty weather. Um, you know, the rain came in. We woke up that last morning, and it was raining like it, we'd never. I think I went over the side of the hill and had a bit of a look while you packed up camp, and we obviously were stressing a bit. We didn't have, as you, as you well know, we didn't have a four wheel drive, so. Um, you know, it was a matter of like, well, we don't really want to get caught up here when we've got to fly out the following day. So it was sort of, you know, used our brains a bit there for what we had left. And um, it turned out we only drove out on a freaking highway. So. <laughs> yeah, well, we weren't we to know, know that. So we didn't know that. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have got out the way we went up if it rained heavily no. and the road got wet. So we knew we weren't going backwards, but we didn't know what was in front of us. Yeah. Yeah, like as you, as you say, it turned out that it was pretty much a highway yeah. out, which was fine. But yeah, that played on our mind for sure. That and the fact we woke up with a flat tire. Oh, that's right. I forgot about flat tire. So, yeah. <laughs> so so we did like we yeah, we that, decided that... to keep our spare given the the kind of it wasn't rough. Like from where I live, 
the roads we weren't driving was rough, but there was sharp edges everywhere. So yeah. it would be easy just to tear the sidewall out of a tyre and yeah, there yeah, are many to... highway tyres too, but it turned out that they actually work really well. Like that, we got around stuff that. Yeah. Yeah, we're just conscious of that kind of stuff. You know, when you're in the middle of nowhere, getting helps a good four to six hours away, really. So, you know, they can chew up a day, and yeah, you know, we had to be back in. What well, we have, you know, eight nine hour drive back to the airport if we were to punch it from there straight through. So, yeah, yeah, you, know, you just had to be careful of that kind of thing. But good old air in a can. Air in a can. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen those hey. things before. I don't even. Can we even buy them over here? That's probably illegal here. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It probably is. I've never seen it before. Anyway, so it's, so just, it's pretty much just expand a foam in a can. Isn't yeah, it? absolute would wreck a tire. I reckon <laughs> so. But uh, yeah, expand a foam in a tire. You just you shake it up for thirty seconds. You punch it, punch one in, and we put two cans in it. And yeah, I don't know. We got it off the ground and. Yeah. I think it was saying it had like twenty pound or something in it by the time we finished it, and yeah. we drove that all the way back to uh, where we go. Where was that little place called? Austin uh, or something on it? Was it Austin? It was Austin, yeah. And uh, yeah, the cool people, little store there, and sorted out their air, air tube for us, and yeah, we never looked at it. We drove all the way, to, all the way back to Reno, and yeah. And then we got to Reno and went to put air in the tire, and we had to pay for it. That's yeah, what was outrageous. that? Outrageous! <laughs> it was a dollar, a dollar fifty, a dollar fifty to put air in your tire. You had to pay for the water oh, there fine. too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, they get ya. They yeah. bend you over backwards and reef you. I couldn't believe it. It's air, but yeah, we uh, we don't have anything like that over here, so. <laughs> <laughs> But all in all, you know, we, I guess, you know, when it, when, you know, when you play these, you know, when you play these sort of hunts out that you've never been before, you know, logistics, which is one we continue to learn. And, you know, obviously this was Josh's first time over there you know, on this side of the world, like done the, done a whitetail last year, but, you know, logistics can be a nightmare or it can be, you know, friend or foe, I suppose you could call it. You know, but we we had a good run, really. I mean, I probably, I definitely should have waited out for the for the full you know four wheel drive or a pick up or something like that. To, you know, I should have hired that. Old mate couldn't understand me when I got the car, so <laughs> we ended up with I don't know five star Rolls Royce. I think we ended up with, but it was a beautiful car to drive. But yeah, I think one thing would have been to have the the four B to to make sure you could access most points without without having a you know a quad or a, or a buggy. So. Um, but you know we made it out of there safe and sound, and um, you know you sort of you, you're continually sort of looking at your supplies and you know where you can access them. And when you're going out of these places, you've got no idea. Like we went down to that Tonopah Par. If anyone wants to check that on a map, it's in the middle of freaking nowhere. But man, like you get in there and you can't wait to get out. So, <laughs> but you know you hear people talk of it of it well, but it's just so different for us. Like you know it just. You're in the middle of nowhere, and you know people sort of say, "Oh, yeah, if, you know, you can pick up this and pick up that," but you don't know whether you're going to get down there, and there's no fuel or, or what's going on. So you got to be careful that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So we were going in to try resupply with dehydrated meals and things like that too, and we found that a little bit difficult to to get there. So mm. so we ended up finding some. We based on what did we start with? We start. And skipping stories here, but we started with peak refuel, dehydrated, yeah. and we started and mountain house. We were sort of fifty fifty split on them, weren't we? Really? Yeah. Mainly the peak refuel, I think. But you know, all in all, to recap, you know, a bit of the, I guess, the gear we used a bit over there, and and things we liked and things we didn't. The food was a big one. Um, cause yeah, we didn't really eat a lot. I I ate a lot more than you because you you were on some weird diet every morning <laughs> I don't know what they call yeah. it what I they don't call do it? I don't do breakfast so I just yeah. skip that and then I just had a, a bar or two just to cliff bar for lunch and, and then I just relied on the meal at night but yeah. they, those things were three serving meals at night so they're pretty big <laughs> so Craig has an esky full of food to himself it was awesome <laughs> but uh... every time I looked at you you were eating <laughs> yeah Bruce in the pudding it was on Instagram the wild hails 
mm. as he grazes. Oh. Yeah. What did I say? Cheap landowner tag. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, um, mate, those sailing one traveling or whatever, you know, if you get the States or there's a possibility to ship them here, those peak refuels are yeah. bloody beautiful. I don't know if I had a bad one of them. Yeah, what so was your, what was your favourite? The Mountain House one, I definitely had a couple that were oh, almost that. inedible. Fried and you did see one. Fortunately, I still had a meal left that I could donate to you. Yeah. You would have starved to death that night. Josh saved my life by donating a meal <laughs> to me. Mate, chicken fried rice, what's that dog shit? That was... <laughs> but not only not only did I donate it, it was one I was trying to use to for as a barter system <laughs> to you to gain something out of you. So I held on to uh, it thinking, this is going to be worth something to him later in the trip because he loved it. And I then got, I just handed it over for free. I didn't even... I got it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, so just, you know, on the food stuff, you know, Josh obviously steers away for any of the hot, the curry stuff for obvious reasons, any kind of hot stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're sort of sitting on it for three weeks, she's pretty rough ground anyway, so... You know, but, you know, it's something to look at. Like last year when I did Alaska, um, you know, I, I took a lot of the food over there, like knowing what I liked back here. So that it is something to, to consider, but obviously you've got to look at weight and all that kind of stuff when you're, when you're flying over there. So it's sort of, you've got that much gear anyway, especially if you're backpacking and, uh, you know, you've got to take all your camp. So, yeah, it's just something to consider. I mean, you could use this same info for, you know, heading to New Zealand or even just backpack hunts at home. Uh, yeah, so so I avoid the the spicy stuff. Not not for it coming out the other end. It's just yeah, going yeah. in. So um, <laughs> quite often you're reasonably dehydrated on these types of hunts because yeah. you're just no ways known taking in enough fluid. So I find that if I'm a little bit dehydrated, I'm already starting to get cracked lips, mm-hmm. and then that is exasperated by eating a spicy food at night. All of a sudden you start licking your lips by the morning, you've licked them to the point where they're just red raw. Yeah. And, and then you're uncomfortable just because of a meal that you ate. So yeah. I learned that almost as a kid, I had an experience on a school camp that it did that to me. <laughs> and you think I could find some lip balm or something to help? No ways. No. And I was just told to suck it up. And I spent four or five days with lips that were pretty much bleeding. Yeah. So that's why I avoid it. It's not the other way oh, when it's coming out God. the other end. Yeah. That's all right. I took that. The old baby wipes. The baby wipes sorted them out, but <laughs> so baby I wipes can't. Old, I had the wrong idea for whole three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the crack lips. You can't. Nothing worse than crack lips. Yeah. Limited lip balm and then spicy food and that on it. it yeah. yeah, all night you're sitting there lying in your sleeping bag, just licking your lips, trying to lubricate them a bit and. It's not good. No, it's, Avoid the spicy stuff. The big thing with Nevada, it's always windy. Like, yeah. holy shit. Like, it just, like, gale force every day, all day. It's insane. So, you know, if you've got dry lips and that, windburn, I don't know if anyone's had bad windburn, but it, it's it's not good. And So, you know, they're just little things that you don't have the luxuries. That, you know, we, we're probably lucky that we can't next to the, the car, but, you know, very limited on what we sort of bought because we had all the intentions of obviously camping out, but... You know, so you, you know, you, you are a little bit limited. Um, so you know, I guess I guess where we're sort of heading with that, you know, careful maybe with your food preparation and um, you know, trying to have stuff that you know is going to fill you up and obviously get something out of it. The the dehydrated meals are quite salty, so you know that's when water you know does come into it. Um, you know, talking water, Josh has got some pretty cool info coming out apart from our little uh, little spastic skit that we've uh, it's on Josh's. Instagram TV, but um, you know, in a serious note, water was definitely probably key into uh, you know to treatment and make sure you know we'll we'll, we'll carefully checking out. Was well, something that you always on mind is like, okay, so if we go here, where's the water going to be? We had we had twenty liter drums with us that we could we threw in the car. Just you know, if we had a good water source, we'd fill them up. Um, you know, just so that the worst case scenario that we had water in the car, that if you backed out of somewhere that you knew you, you just had to bake it back to the car and, and you had fresh water. So, you know, it was critical that day. We did that big long hike in the middle of the day and it's kind of panic stations there for a little bit. Josh had sunk all his water Yeah, for on me it up. was. Yeah. Five litres I went through going up that yeah. day on that. I that carried a bit hot. more up. 
um, thinking that, you know, we probably needed if we got up there and there was none, at least we had something at the top. And I know I sort of wasn't, I wasn't drinking enough to put it that way, but Josh was pairing through it that day and it was hot, it was bad, but I ended up suffering from that because I, I felt shit that afternoon. But we got up there and there was like a raging torrent of a spring. It was bloody awesome. So I uh, still yeah. treated it. Yeah, it's trade trade it well, but it was a beautiful, you know, all in the aspens and a bloody gorgeous spot up in there. So plenty of water. It wasn't an issue at all. So um but it was something that was on mind all the time really. It was sort of the, the water, food. I guess it's just surviving, I suppose, in when you got so much time in your hands through the day, you I eat when I'm bored, so that's why I'm fat. But I get bored too often. <laughs> Especially on their lines. Fucking hell. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, so I guess on the wa- the water site type of things, you do need to take that into account. So um, a, a stomach, an upset stomach from Giardia or something like that is certainly going to ruin your trip. So mm. you'll be, for want of a better word, you'll be shitting through the eye of a needle for two to three days at least. Some people even have to get off the mountain just to get it dealt with with antibiotics and stuff. So Hospital job. Um, the Americans quite often refer to it as beaver fever. It's essentially, it's the same thing. It's just pathogens that are generated by um, fecal contamination of warm-blooded animals or mammals. So yep. any any animal that's likely to carry its own crap into the water is likely to carry pathogens into it, and then those pathogens are what are going to make you sick. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those are, are capable of surviving long periods in dry conditions so they can be outside of the water and you get one rain event and it washes it in so a water source that could have been fine last week one rain event can make that undrinkable without some form of filtration or uv treatment or um chlorination was another one that we we applied a lot of the time and as an absolute fail safe it would be boiling your water there's very little stuff that's capable of surviving high temperature boiled water uh it's pretty difficult to boil every drop of water that you're going to take while you're away as well as trying to cool it in a timeline that you're actually capable of drinking it as drinking water and and it can be recontaminated really quickly from boiled water so one drop of tainted water back into that boiled water and it's contaminated again so yeah so it's all about handling techniques as well as your treatment techniques of what you're doing, but I'll cover that off on another podcast. Probably this was probably a good lead in to have covered that off, but I'm not prepared now for it. So yeah, we'll do yeah, it no, day. definitely not. And 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 we yeah. you, we kind of we want to take that kind of info pretty seriously. So Josh is going to put a podcast together. Um, we'll probably I'll um I'll help him out with that one, and, and we'll bounce back and forth. But that's going to be a good one. I've I've seen the info that Josh has put together on that. Um, so that's one to look out for for sure. Um, you know, another couple of couple of things you know we uh you know there's so much info out there with you know sleep system pack systems um josh was pretty impressed he had a one-man queue did not is that what it was it was one-man queue wasn't it um yeah yeah borrowed off bill yeah you know really quick you know that that was one thing i I had a unfortunately me kafara sawtooth didn't turn up in time so um arrived a day after we flew out so that the idea of that was so josh and i could just you know just carry one one shelter but um, I just had the old MSR, uh, I think Hubba Hubba it was, and uh, Josh was sleeping by the time I got that thing set up, and it was it was good, like light and basic, but it's fast. Three three season, though. I don't know how well it did hold up in heavy snow. Yeah, but certainly for the condi- the time of year we were hunting, jeez, yep. it was so quick. Just a single good. pile, yep. few pegs, put it up, well ventilated. Um, yeah, I was really impressed to the yeah. point where. I'm keen to get one myself because 95% of my hunting in Australia, that type of tent mm-hmm. would be suitable. Um, and even if I did have the bad weather come through where I hunt, I'm, I'm sheltered enough by some of the larger trees around it. So I don't really need an absolute four season that you might need on a clear New Zealand peak that there's no cover around. Yeah. It's just you and your tent. Yep. That That is the difference between life and death. But for me, quite often where I camp in in the Victorian high country where there might be a foot and a half of snow be dumped in the night, I'm still 
pretty safe. Pretty much covered by the snow gums up there that aren't tall, but you tend to camp under them anyway because it just don't, it gives you a bit of shelter from the frosts and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I I don't see the need for Victorians or even Australians to have to have a four season tent unless yep. you're using it to hunt New Zealand or some of these areas late season yeah. where the weather, like those guys said, we could go from um, late September, we could have 40-odd degree Celsius days, which I don't know what that is, 90 or 100 Fahrenheit, um, and then a week later we could have enough snow that would cover our whole car. So yep. Yep. just well, with the, those seasons change rapidly at the high elevations. Yeah, I kept in touch, which – We'll bounce off later, but I catch in touch with the guys from the Nevada Taxidermy, and and they said it. So it was a week after they got snow, so it was snow yeah. up on the top again, fresh snow. So yeah, it did yeah. turn real quick. We seen it coming, but but um, no, it was it was good. You know, we had uh, obviously real extreme hot. Like it was it was really hot through the day. You, you definitely couldn't be out punching around um, through the day. Although you know, Josh went for a couple of walks and, and a couple of late runs myself, but. Um, so we, but it, it, it dropped off at night when we we're up high, it cooled off pretty well. I mean, there was still formed ice up there, you know, snow that didn't melt from last season. So, um, you know, it was cool enough once the sun went down, um, uh, but certainly not elements, probably wind was probably the only thing, but yeah, we weren't seeing elements like that. So, um, but I think, you know, if you want to, if you want to tent this, you know, one size fits all, so to speak, and you, you are doing New Zealand and the, those extremes, you know, it's hard to probably bet a Hilleberg or something like that, but it's just bomb-proof, really, four-season bomb-proof. So. Yeah, so the other thing that proved valuable that at the time I chucked it in thinking, huh, I might use it, might not, just turned out to be that lightweight fly that we use for yeah. our day shelter because yeah. the sun was just unrelenting Brutal. and there wasn't much cover from the ground shrubs, they, they were that. They were just shrubs that were yep. struggling to be six foot high yep. and there wasn't much shade under them. So by just setting up that fly through the heat of the day, we could hide under that for a bit in the yeah. shower. Yep. Yeah, it was real good, real good. I was... set up my my hobo camp under there. And yeah, yeah, he made a good Shifted it around a bit. <laughs> <laughs> his cardboard box and his, his water bowl and his pillow. Yeah. But, uh, but no, you know, you made what you did. I oh, know I was a little bit more organised. I had my nice little blankie and a uh, little pillow, and yeah, it was good. If I was any more organised, then I would be funding a new jet for Jetstar when I got home because they just reamed me for <laughs> overweight oh. bags on the way back to the point that Which I'm not flying for. with them anymore. They can stick their flights yep. up their arsehole. Yep. I'm not going with them anymore because I was convinced I'd booked the extra baggage. They claimed I didn't, that I only had booked the handling of it, like – who who expects that by booking excess baggage that you're actually just booking the handling of it? Are they serious? Like, I chuck my bags on the conveyor belt. Just, so they didn't really handle my bag. Yeah, just a loophole that they manipulated to get me to pay more. So, yeah, I ended up paying oh, some ridiculous... No, oh, it was more. It was like 30 bucks a kilo I was over, and I was my, it was my whole second bag, and it was 19 kilos, so... Oh, yeah, they just crap. Yeah, they reamed me for it. So, and I've argued the point, but I just won't fly with the freaks anymore. Yeah, that's it. Spread the word, so, guys. Yeah. Jetstar can suck one. Yeah, don't go Jetstar. No, nah. but the Qantas flight was good. Qantas was great, no issues. Awesome. But yet their their little fucking stepbrother business <laughs> in Jetstar with their cheap flights. No, nah. no, such they're thing. just set up to ruin you. So they they reamed me on the way out. Because I was four hundred gram, I was four hundred grams over on my carry on, so I was allowed to have seven, and I was seven point four. And mind you, my wallet and that was in there, so I didn't even have the chance to pull my wallet out, put it in my pocket, which apparently would I would have been fine. But no, they just said, "No, nah, you're over." So they slugged me sixty bucks for that too on the way up. It's like really, <laughs> these little things that all adds up. But reality is, I ended up paying. More for my flight from Melbourne to Sydney and back again than what you paid for me to go from Sydney to yep. San yep. Fran and back, yep. which is ridiculous. Absolutely so stupid. if they can try to justify that, good luck to them. But yeah. no one's known. So, yeah, Melbourne to Sydney, over $1,000 just for two bags up and back Josh, just because Jetstar. Josh's rant for the night. Jetstar yeah. can suck one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I don't know. 
we uh, met some great people in in a in a lovely state of Nevada. We met some people on the hill. We um, met the the lovely couple Wayne and Sabrina who own Nevada Taxidermy, and I'm just going to put it out there. That's some of the best taxidermy work I've ever seen. That was incredible. Um, you know, full passion. You know, hundred percent. You know, all their all their work. They they take a personal touch to it and. And just yeah, you know, beautiful people. We sat there on the way home. Uh, we called in there uh, before we drove back to San Fran on the on the uh, on the last day, and we sat there and spoke to him for probably an hour and a half. Just gave us all the time in the world, and you know it was just yeah, really genuine people. And and um, yeah, hopefully I'm looking forward to catching up with them guys again. That's for sure. You know, hopefully we'll see them in Australia and on a bit of a holiday. And I'll tell you what, you know, any kind of trophy in that, if I can. If I can get it to them guys, that's I think that's who I'll be using over there to, to organise my stuff for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I've watched them do something in the last week that I know any taxidermist in Australia tells me that they're not capable of repairing, and that's no slip. It's generally one of the first things to slip or get damaged when deer are running flood out and they nosedive and land on a rock or something. They split the noses and that open. A lot of the taxidermists here just say, hey, uh, your, your nose is done, we can't repair it because of the extra work consumed. And I watched this week with Wayne and Sabrina repairing a nose, yeah. like literally the, the fine detail of the wrinkles on the nose and things like that. So over here, somebody's looking at having to replace a cape that in their eyes might not be replaceable because yeah. it was the cape off their deer. Then they start seeking a new cape all because of a little bit of nose damage or something like that. And mm. it... it it just shows the difference between the the American style taxidermy and where we're at. We're not even close yet, but yeah. I agree that the American taxidermy is by far another level above anybody in Australia. And I'm yeah. not saying that to be nasty or anything like that, but you go into a Cabela's or something like that, yeah. look at the work that's produced, and yeah, it, it's just... Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, it Cabela's, is absolutely the Cabela's at Reno. There's not not an old shop. Like it's it's relatively new. I mean, I'm I don't even know. I don't even have to guess how many years. But you can tell by the the mounts and that in there are quite quite new. I mean, there was heads there from like 2015. I think one of them big elk were. And, but some of the you know the elephant stand and there's like the little waterfalls in between and ah, oh, it's just yeah. that elephant. That elephant. Imagine yeah. the caping job on an oh. elephant, full size bull elephant. Full size. Holy mount. crap. Yeah. Off its head, but yeah. the shop itself is a bit ordinary. I think, oh, how good was Shields? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I hadn't seen a so, Shields before, but, yeah, that was. Whew. Just back up a little bit again to Nevada Taxidermy again. Like We got in there, and they had some lions there, some floor skin lions with full mount head, and mm. um, there was some giant elk. There was some the best white tail of mule deer taxidermy you're going to see there was the bear Sabrina was working on that was brilliant so mm. if you're if you if you're on social media yeah. do yourself a favor and get on a taxidermy yeah and they're just genuinely nice people too they they entertained us when we first turned up when we said hey we're a couple of strange aussies we're here to hunt white, uh, mule deer what do we do if we do tag out? And they're like, no worries, just give us a buzz any time of night. Give us a buzz and we'll we'll meet you here so that we can start to treat yep. your head, obviously, because yep. we're hunting early season. We've got velvet, velvet bucks and things like that. So there's a lot of consideration, particularly of the weather. So they just said that their doors were open to a couple of strangers like that. We would be paying customers, I get it, but then on the return trip we called past and seen them and sat there for two or three hours yeah. just talking yes. just talking everything and yeah, they are a couple of really nice people. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just yeah, you know, it's just something so simple. Just reached out to them. I, I was getting some gear shipped. Um and it wasn't gonna make me in time. So I was like how like I knew we were going through Reno, so I was like, how do I even go about this? And so I just, I literally just shot him a, tech, a message through Instagram. They're like, yeah, sure, here's our address. You know, we'll see you in a couple of days. And that's, you know, something so simple and they'll, they'll rope open arms. So, yeah, no, beautiful people. And, um, yeah, do us a favour and make sure you follow them and, yeah, comment, comment on their stuff. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. But, um, but they were good people and, you know, they were they some of the few people that we did meet and, we obviously looked approachable guys because you had some guy come up and wanted to trade a voucher for you for cash and 
where, yeah. where Blige, he was a legend, champion. I, mess, I lost his bloody business card, and I'm spewing about that. So, but um, yeah, these things happen. But you know, just just yeah, all around good trip, I think. And um, you know, we talking flights. You know, we did something a little bit different. We threw in the Sam fan. So usually, usually on those flights, I, I fly into LA. But um, credit to Benny McCulloch and, and his wife Ange. They they had booked one for Ben. Um, and they do a five o'clock out of Sydney, or oh, five forty PM, I think, out of Sydney. On a, and uh, so we did a Sunday afternoon flight. And best thing about that is you sort of, you know, those other flights you're leaving at six, you know, seven or eight or ten o'clock in the morning. You know, you've just been asleep, so you sort of don't feel like sleeping. So it can be a pretty brutal flight. But yeah, that time of the night after a big day traveling, um, yeah, I, I know I hit the Zeds. That was fine. Photo proof. Yeah, you were. Uh, I was there. I was there. <laughs> you, you barely even sat there. I don't even think you'd buckled up and you were asleep on the air. Unbelievable. I had a dinner. Wait, mate, that's yeah. the best flight I've ever done. I've, it's usually brutal for me, but. Yeah, it's smart. So anyone that's doing it, um, when I went to Wisconsin the year before, we we had we had to fly from Melbourne to Sydney, then Sydney to LAX, and then LAX to, to Minneapolis. And. We left Melbourne at about 5.30 in the morning and I don't think myself and Bill, my mate that come with me, I don't think we slept for about 36 hours because we couldn't because of the transitioning between the fact we'd already slept in Melbourne, we got up and started flying, then you land in LAX and it's it's daylight again in the morning, everyone's eating breakfast, so then you do a bit of that. Then Yeah, it was a nightmare. We were buggered by the time we finally got there but this one this was it was a breeze yeah, jeez it was cruising. fly out in the evening you just go to bed at a normal time you wake up and there you are yeah we yeah. woke up and and by the time we got off the plane it was an afternoon but you, you the jet lag's nowhere near as nah, severe as the other nah. way around so just make sure that first night you've got a good you know you've got nothing planned for first thing the next morning so we just oh, even them though we only slept in like eight o'clock or something like that the next day and yeah um yeah we we're obviously buzzing and yeah, I went and sort of got supplies and hit the road eventually. And then on the way home, you don't fly out till 11 o'clock at night. So you got all day to, you know, we come back on the Thursday afternoon knowing that we wanted to catch up with the with Wayne and Sabrina and, um, you know, do some feed that night, you know, the Thursday night. And then we had all day Friday pretty much to, to make our way back to San Fran. So um, obviously you got to be a little bit more confident in driving. You know, it's a little bit hectic when you get in the cities there. Josh, Josh has crashed ten times um, by turning on the wrong side of the road. But yeah, <laughs> lucky, I I was, wish. lucky I was driving. I would have. Yeah. There were so many times I was like, "Holy shit, he's pulling into whole <laughs> oncoming traffic," but it's not. It's just <laughs> or the the turning right at a red light, which is a big no-no at home. But yeah. yet you're allowed to turn and go forward on red lights in America. So. Yeah. Yeah, it, it takes a bit. It takes yeah, you got to harden your nards <laughs> up a bit there to get going on those roads. But yeah, San Fran was pretty hectic. She was pretty, you know, we drove out of, like when we landed there. We drove out four o'clock in the afternoon, so she's peak traffic. Like you know, oh like, mate, driving along the highway with a doobie going <laughs> that looked like a friggin' cigar. Oh, man, and he's, he's just got a plume of smoke coming out of slightly <laughs> cracked window and there's so much smoke in there you can barely oh, make out that it was a full car. They were the coolest looking <laughs> dudes you've ever seen if you had asked them anyway. Oh, yeah. man. That was yeah. a funny... And that was like 10 minutes into our drive in San Fran. We're like, cool. This, I was kind of yeah. expecting to look over and see Snoop Dogg or something <laughs> in it, but it wasn't. <laughs> That was funny. Couldn't help but laugh. Yeah, that that mate, that was just the start of the trip, and man, I, I don't think I don't think I'll stop laughing since that moment. I don't think so. Yeah. Now uh, no, we filled in the time good. If anyone hasn't checked out Josh's Instagram uh, stories and TV about some of our stupid shit, especially Josh. Um, apparently, I've 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 been found, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm alive. It's it's. Uh... <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, the funniest was thing good. was hitting you up with an interview when you had absolutely oh. no idea about any of it. So if anyone that watched it and got a chuckle, in all seriousness, Craig had no idea I nah. was about to do this a fake interview with him. I'm walking he, up, up he the hill. He just thought he was coming up to catch up with me. Yeah, yeah. You can hear me say, <laughs> oh, that's a long way down, man. He comes running at me with this weird pant, half sideways kind of hip run. I don't know what he was doing, but. And then he's got a made-up microphone my... with a stick and a sock and uh, cable, cable ties. ties. And, mate, that thing went everywhere. <laughs> but, 
That was some of the stuff we got going on. It was, it was oh, like, well, there was so much downtime because there was a daylight savings there too. So we I forgot about that. An hour in the morning, an hour in the evening of hunting time, and then in between, we tried to glass, but where we where we were, we just weren't seeing deer bedded yeah. in the open we or anything just, like that. Yeah, we were just so, in that different country where you know, um, so Macca and that they were in the. Um, they were in the same unit uh, just a bit earlier than us and they managed to get into a bit of country there that, you know, their vehicle allowed them to do so and they'll catch them bucks bedded up under trees but there's a lot just less a trees. Single, just a single tree. Single tree. So, we just didn't yeah. really have that. Like, it, ours is nah. all brush country. Um, once again, it makes it hard. You, you've got deer, you don't want to leave them but, yeah, credit to Macker and, um, yeah, the boys got it done and but it was a matter of, you know, we just, we just work with what we had. And uh, yeah, good good learning curve. Um, I don't know whether yeah. I'll run back and do it next year, but I don't think it'll be the last time I get and go and do that desert mule deer. But it's definitely um, definitely elk for me. I don't know Josh is pretty keen. Or you know, we did see those couple of elk. I think we've covered that. But yeah, that you know when you see you know you chase a mule deer, but then you see a bull elk. I don't know you can't help but just sit there and glass and watch them. Like it just I don't know something about them. There are. Uh, yeah, they definitely get you in. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of boys over there. We'll, we'll catch up with a few in the coming weeks. Um, yeah, we'll hear a few stories and that the boys over there. And everyone done probably a little bit tough this year. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, a bit of a grind for everyone, really. Uh, a few of the boys seen success and, you know, a few, few tags weren't punched, you know, for, you know, by, uh, by choice, you know, not, not by no opportunity, but, um, but it's good to see everyone, you know, really putting their hand up and, and getting over there. It's 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 easily done. I mean, I've spoken about this before. It can be done, but it's it just takes a bit of logistics and you know, just just get a bit of organisation. It helps when you got someone. Credit to Josh putting his hand up, coming and join me. You know, it take, takes a bit, a fair bit of coin to come and do something like that. So, but uh, it made the trip of it. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I. Is it like I've been telling everyone here that I've spoken to that it's something they need to do because it's a lot easier than what I gave it credit for. But having said that, having been through the 18 days with you, I don't know how you would have got through it all by yourself. There, I wouldn't have. There's no, like no there, question. It would have been so challenging. If you could have done it mentally, all credit to you. But I, I put my hand on my heart and said, I don't think I could have lasted that many days. I reckon I would have been... Probably, given that there was the opportunity to go to Colorado, I reckon I would have probably cut and run midway through. Yeah. So I would have done – if the hunt had played out the same it did, um, I think I would have seen myself day seven or eight, probably head, head to Colorado, probably would have dropped off and, you know, seen the people I, I knew along the way over, um, you know, Salt Lake or whatever, and, you know, just broken up the trip like that and then just would have, you know, Probably, probably done done a more of a like just an adventure kind of you know holiday kind of you know hunting, but seeing more country where we we were there to, to hunt like we we just you know just did the grind and you know, I, you know, that and that, did, that so. and the Hoyt factory, mind you. You did tell me you'd get me into the Hoyt oh. factory and that, given their I'll new make, line was about to be I'll released. I'll didn't make Taylor listen so. to this one, but yeah, we uh we did have that lined up. It did and, break and I, my I, I did, heart. I didn't think about it. I forgot. So obviously, Hoyt's new lines coming out, and uh, I promised promised Josh a, a factory tour, and it didn't happen. So um, maybe because they had all their new stuff everywhere, and we were not to see that. So, but uh, that was all good. We got to see Elko. Yeah, not that it was much to see. Break. It did break my little heart yeah, a little was, bit. It was a little bit. He didn't talk to me for three days, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was. He got over it eventually. I probably yeah. I probably would have traded him something as food food item, but so it did. Know. It did contribute to the decision making around going to Colorado, though. So it did play um, a part. Yeah, absolutely. So without that as a part of it, then it was easier to decide to stay in Nevada yep. and try and make it happen there. So yeah, yep, for sure. And I, I I don't regret that decision. Funnily enough, I don't regret not going to. I regret probably. Well, I don't regret anything, but, you know, maybe a few little things I would have changed, you know, maybe jumped around a little bit more on those where, where we were talking about being and going. We probably, you know, there's a couple of things I would have done different, but you, you don't know those things. But I certainly don't regret not going to Colorado because opening day was like the first day of a long weekend. 
Like, so we would have got there day before that, trying to work out where the hell to go and then jump in with every hiker and, you know, tourist person. You know, cre- you know they're more than welcome to be there as well. We all share, share it over there but and other hunters. So we would have had to try and work it out, compete with that, uh, all in, you know, six or seven days to try and get it done. And, yeah, I think we just... I think we made the right decision. Yeah, I, for me, I just... I carried my bow one side of the world to the other. I was expecting not to hunt. I didn't care about not hunting, but then I got back to Sydney and then they're like, hey, give us another 600 bucks to get that bag back. And it was my bow that I'd carried from one side of the world to the other. Didn't even pull out of the case. And then they're saying, hey, you didn't even book this in. I said, well, I flew from Melbourne to Sydney and just didn't say anything on the same booking, but yet now you are. So... Oh. In all seriousness, it was not important, but that was the bag that they stung me for on the way back. So yeah, the bow well, that I didn't even pull out of the case. It was a hard decision too because Josh, ring, Josh rings me before we leave a couple of days out. He's like, do I take me bow? I'm like, well, there's probably a good chance you won't get to use it. But if we make it to Colorado, the D unit I had was an over-the-counter elk tag. So I'm like, I'd hate to get there. If all plan went well, I'd hate to get there and we see this bull elk walking up the hill and you don't have your bow. So that was the decision yeah. we kind of made. So I'm like, I'm not going to say to take it or not take it. You just take it if you want to. And yeah, You would have seen me quickly sharpening a stick like a spear at that stage. <laughs> you would have grabbed mine for sure. <laughs> I'll see ya. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So nah. But it, it's lit that the was fire. part of it, and I knew that. I it's, knew that from the start. But yeah, it, it just the way it played out was the right move. Which is yeah. the wind killed us on those critical moments. So yep. Yep. Or killed killed your stalks on the critical moments, but oh, killed hurt, killed hurt my... me as much as it hurt you because I'd been doing the same amount of miles. So I felt every every killed, little missed opportunity. Killed my yeah. soul, killed my brain cells. It pretty much killed me. <laughs> Let's just be honest. It was just my body there. I don't know what was happening, but yeah. But nah, look. At the end of the day, it, it's lit the fire. Josh, we're we're going hard, organised next year. We've we've canned a couple other ideas that we had um, to concentrate on elk next year, and uh, we're already we're already talking to people over there because you know, it sounds a bit silly that yeah you know, we're talking about it now, but. Scarily enough, it's it's three months away before our first application uh, being in Wyoming. So, it's um, you know I've got a couple other boys that we're talking to as well. You know that once again, you know seeing the boys come back and watching the guys chase them over there, it yeah you sort of you sort of can't help yourself but get keen and start researching again. And um, so um, yeah, I'm looking forward to you know doing the application thing. I think a few people are. Had a couple of two or three year plans, and I think they've brought them forward to probably next year. So, or bought them, yeah, brought them forward to next year. So, um, yeah, the the fire's lit. And um, but I was only saying to someone today, you know, I think the biggest thing about the the first trip, um, Jake Asroski being being the one I was talking to, we'll we'll catch up with him next week, and uh, his his one will come out just after this. But um, you know, he, he went over there and had a fantastic trip and he didn't come back with an elk, but, you know, listen to his 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 buzz and his voice about the trip. It's just, yeah, it's addictive. It's It'll get anyone keen and I'm, I'm keen to share those stories. But, and he said the same thing. He said what he's learnt in that first trip, although he didn't, didn't take an elk, what he learned as far as people he met, you know, what it's all about over there. And every state's a little bit different, but at the end of the day, they're all elk. Um, you know, he can't wait for his next trip. He can't wait for next year now. So that's the biggest thing, I think. The expectation has to be around the fact of, yeah, you're going to learn a lot. Sure, you might get lucky and, and, and shoot one. Um, but, you know, if you're prepared to go there and just learn a, learn a bucket load about something a little bit different, uh, your second trip's going to... So always plan for two or three trips. Uh, the first one won't be the last. I can guarantee you. So Yeah. Yeah. So... Jake's a bit of a red deer freak too, so the elk is a logical next step for him because they're just uh, red deer on steroids, really. So, <laughs> really good um, ones. <laughs> 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 no, they are, they're, they're, and you know, I think the biggest thing about over there, which you know, probably a good way to wrap this up, is is the confidence we have. We need to take it over there. Uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that in a cocky way, but there's a lot of 
like we there's a lot of fantastic hunters in Australia that probably don't back themselves enough and uh you pretty much need to go anywhere you're going, you know, looking at um you know, the guys who just went and shot the Ibex. Um, you know, just, just the skill and that that we have, if you can if you can hold that up and take it over with you and not probably second guess yourself. Um, I think that's key, you know, they um you know, they are very surprised on how good a lot of us can shoot and in our you know, our, our knowledge of animals in general, even though that we don't know those animals in particular, our our knowledge of the bush or, you know, bushcraft if you want to call it that, uh, they they do give us credit for it over there. So, you know, don't think you can't go over there and use it as we would as we would here. So um, So probably the, just to cut you off, the, the the thing for me that probably turned me off as a newbie prior to this was meat recovery. Yeah. What does an Aussie do with meat recovery when the laws say you must get it out? And for me, it was like, oh, my God, wh- where does it go? What do you do? But you could just about walk up to anybody in the street over there and say, hey, you I've can. got an esky full of meat yep. off a freshly killed animal, and people would just jump all over it. So Big time. there's donations to, to different charities and things like that as well. So there yep. is so much opportunity to deal with the meat after the fact. So – Obviously, you've got to get over there, got to hunt. But if, if you're doing it all thinking, what do I do once I've killed it and what do I do with the meat, which is yep. a, something that I seriously question, then don't worry about that because that's the easy part of it. The, yep. the hard part is getting over there, hunting, killing, and then obviously hiking all that gear, all that meat out. So Yep, yep definitely. Um, the, and the, and the yeah. biggest thing is just preparation and organisation. Um well before you leave so just remember guys that there's a shit ton of people over there hunting so you know people do get busy um you know a lot of your outfits and all that we've had james nash on the podcast before and you know he's booked up three years in advance like it's it's big time over there so they can't just drop of a hat um but they are willing to they're willing to help you know they're, they're very they're very polite people and you know they don't like saying no so um taxiderm is are a good place to start. They generally know meat processes, and um, they're, they're you know, and generally they can help you, especially if it's a, close to a region that you're going to hunt. Um, so it's a good place to start, and and outfitters as well, because generally a lot of the outfitters had a horseback cr- horse crew. So if you are really looking to get back into it, and and you you got the go about yeah to get back into that some of the bigger stuff, but just remember that you know a lot of people walk past some of the best hunting, and I'll let Jake tell that story uh, on the next podcast, but. Um, yeah, the, the backcountry thing has got all popular, but you know, sometimes you don't need to do that, and that's going to help with meat recovery too. If you're not all the way back in there, um, it's a lot easier to carry it out two or three miles than what it is 14. It just won't happen in 14 miles, to be honest with you. But that doesn't help with the social media warriors that want to post that they've just hiked <laughs> meat out for 15 miles. 14 trips to do it but yet they're still going strong but the reality is if that realistically happened it would have taken them gonna, a week to do it so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your body would be broken so yeah it but yep yeah, you know i think josh put it really well it's probably not the worry of what you're going to do with the meat it's just getting it out and that's just something to play on yeah. i know a lot of our unit selection hunt selection um Brad Smith, Brad Smith is is always the first to say to me, you know, with the hunts that we're spoken about, what do we, you know, how do we get it out? How far are we in? You know, it's the first question he asks, and and it he's done it quite a few times now, and I can say I can tell you why he's why he asked that straight away. So, um, and it's not it's not it's not to put anyone off doing it tough or anything like that. You can do it, but it certainly plays in your mind of how far you want to go in and push it, because um, you've got no choice. You have to you have to do it. So. Um, and it plays in a, it plays a part of what you're going to shoot too. I'll be honest there. So because it's the same amount of work, whether it's a it's a small animal or a big animal, so you got to be proud of what you're going to shoot. So um, yeah, it, play, it plays a part. But but I think uh, on that, I mean, uh, we don't want to jump into next year too too soon because it's coming around quick enough as it is, Josh. But uh, what's on the cards for the rest of the year, mate? <laughs> well, kill more ten. I come. I yeah. I. I come home and within three deer, three days, I think it was, I'd shot a deer back home. So they're not an easy deer to hunt either. I just come back and just 18 days of hunting in the States without even carrying a weapon had just got me to 
riled up she's, to a point where I just wanted to get out and do it myself, so I did. She was still on the, <laughs> still on the chain from when he left. He forgot about her and uh, just went out. It's like, shit, I better put that thing Yeah, it was a pet. It was a pet. I've been <laughs> feeding a carrot and lured it into my front yard. And, nah. So, <laughs> there's no pets. They're wild animals. But, yeah, no, nah, look, it's – Pot prime time here for samba hunting, so Josh, I've just no, been focused no on that. Thing, there's no such thing as a wild animal; they're dingoes. Yes, or well, that's no such thing as a wild dog. That's right. So they're all they're all dingoes, <laughs> or they're feral dogs, aren't they? There's they no are. wild dogs. Sorry, a wild dog doesn't exist. So that's we're digressing. Sorry for everyone right listening. Now, we're just going on a tangent. But uh, right now, in my local area is a peak rut period so i've i've just been doing a bit of scouting about yeah scouting scunting doing what i do and <laughs> got my cameras out got some nice video footage of, of wallowing mm. stags and things like that and just yeah just just in time during the time in the bush so got a yeah. few different guys coming back down to hunt hopefully you're coming down november trying to work that out got some other guys so um, sharing the love yeah just get out do a bit of that mm. good time of year guys so, it's uh not too hot yet but you know we're I'm organizing a trip uh to to the warra country oh west country but warra owns it um he's a man of the outback but uh no nah, the rough end the rough end <laughs> Want to get back out there, but uh, no, there's plenty. You know, as things warm up, we always say, "Oh, it's coming to a bit of an end," but there's still plenty, plenty to be done. I mean, really, Sam is really smack bang in the middle of it at the moment. So, I, um, yeah, it doesn't really stop down here. So, to be honest, I'm already hearing guys saying, oh, "I've seen a snake," or "or the snapper are about to run in." So, a lot of the guys, like a large proportion of the Victorian hunters, they put their rifles away, sort of October pick the fishing rods up and they won't touch their rifle again until March or April. Mm. But for the, oh, I don't even know the term you'd use, but for the hunters like myself who just can't let it go, then we'll hunt right through. I don't, yep. I don't give a shit about the snakes. So I'll still be out there. It, it gets a bit crunchy underfoot. So bow hunting's difficult, yep. but if you put the time in, you'll find a hard antlered samba stag any time of year. And there's still, there's no bush that's not, open for hunting in Victoria all year round. So a couple yep. of the the high country areas are, there's some hunting exclusions over summer because there's an influx of bush users, walkers and things like that, and they kick the hunters out because they think we're just rogue cowboys. Um, we shared the bush for little transition periods. They're not worried about the transition periods, but the peak periods they are yep. worried about, which is crazy. But we get kicked out of a couple of the parks like that. But, yeah, still plenty of state forest that you can hunt all year round and you'll find a deer in, you'll find a stag in, but just understand that bow hunting, we're starting to get to the transitional period where the ground just starts to dry out. Yep. Right now it's good. Prime time. Yeah, it is Prime right. Prime time. Yep. But, uh, yep, yeah, no excuses. You know, if you've got that bit of time and, got to, you know, you can pull a long weekend here and there, it's there's no better time to get down there. And, you know, obviously things are a little bit hotter and quieter up in the hills, up in New South Wales for, for our species here, but... Uh, plenty to be done so I think it's it does get busy this time of the year with Christmas and you know all the all that kind of stuff whatever that you know with works and all that kind of thing but we'll make it we'll, we'll get it coming in there somewhere I'll get down there and uh, I'll get out west I think we'll make make the west trip January I think when it's real hot sounds crazy but you know generally the the animals aren't far from water when it's like that so just trying to trying to make the most of the of the conditions so um well, you guys hunted last year. It was 52 or 50 degrees, yeah. degrees Celsius. So that's, what, 120-odd Fahrenheit. So, so it's getting a, some pretty serious heat to it. Oh, mate, I, yeah, you, you're not going far from the truck. But at the end of the day, mate, the, the, the hogs, you know, you walk up the first tank, mate, and, you know, you've got a couple of hogs sitting in it. So it's sort of they can't, they literally can't survive without being near that water or, you know, watering every couple of hours. But it was amazing, you know, it sort of dropped down to 42 bit of a storm front come through and you know it kind of really changed them up and I you know 42 is not 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 cool but it is cool when you've when you've just dropped from 52 it's amazing the difference even we could feel yeah. that difference so but as it warmed back up in the following days that you know they got back on the water again so but they've had a 
had a bit of rain out there early in the year. Uh, nothing to pull them out of any kind of, you know, obviously any trial trouble. But you know, there was a, there was some green pick and a bit of water laying around there a few months ago. So it'll it'll you know it'll change things a bit. Um, it'll get get the animals back in there. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to check it out. I've got some new country going to check out as well. So hopefully we'll be picking you up or meeting you out there at some point and we'll get in. Yeah. There. So the another thing for people to consider is the Blonde Bay Hog Deer Ballot applications are open. So if you what's seriously want to have uh, I'd have to look it up. Sorry. Once November. again, not prepared, but just get online, look at Blonde Bay Hog Deer Ballot. If you want to have a realistic opportunity at putting in it costs you 15 bucks you put in. I've never drawn in nine, or oh, this is my ninth year, no draw. My brother's 24 years, no draw. Plenty of people draw first year on 15 bucks, but yet you get one of the best opportunities to hunt hog public deer. land, hog deer. And we've got one of the large, or we got the only hunting population of hog deer in the world outside of pen stuff. So these are wild animals out there. So Legit check stuff. out Bay hog deer ballot. Put in for it, fifteen bucks, and you've got a real chance of drawing an opportunity to hunt. Actually, some of the best hog deer nah, country. I don't think anybody should. <laughs> no one this year. No, apparently the herd's yeah. going to crap. Herd's going to crap. Yeah. None down there anymore. So just wait, so I can put my photo in, and then yeah, no, then you'd be right to apply. Um, no, nah, guys, <laughs> get onto it. Great <laughs> Check opportunity. Check it out. All there. the money goes back into conservation for the the, the hog deer population themselves. It's really so well it's, it's really all done. about conserving that population and helping it out. So the fifteen dollars is not much as an annual fee. It's the first thing I do as soon as the applications open. I put in. I don't care if I draw or not. If I do, it'd be nice. If not, but um, realistically. More people shoot hog deer through the balloted period than what they do through the open season because of the land access that it provides. So yeah. Yeah. it's it's your best opportunity for one, unless you're one of the lucky few that have access to private property. So if you do, good on yous. Just ignore what I've just said. Keep your 15 bucks, put it in the fuel to drive <laughs> to your property. But for the rest of yous, absolutely put in for Cheap it. Way so, Cheap way to yeah, go. Absolutely. I believe there is an expo. I think it's the shot show, out, isn't that on shot coming show. up? It'll be next weekend, I think. So this will probably come out the day before, the day or two before it. So, and then uh, I think we're right back around to Wild Deer early next year, I think. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so Wild so Deer will be there, late Feb, early March, I guess. Yep. Once again, it's going to be right through the period where a lot of guys will be. Focusing in on the early fallow rut, early red, probably the scouting period for it. So hopefully yeah. they can get that time right so yeah. that it's not interfering with prime time hunting in Australia, which is crazy. So that'll be key. That'll be key. If anybody so. knows anyone that manages that, by all means, just reach out to them and tell them that they need to change the timelines on it. So, yep. No, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, so well, that expo, the Wild Deer Expo, I'd be expecting we'll be having a booth there or something, looking at doing some podcasts live on site with people. So yep, yep, we got some uh, got some big things coming and uh, podcasts as well. Obviously, we're back on the back on the mic as much as we can. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, we've you know uh, gone week to week, so it'll uh, it'll be good. It'll give it, keep them fresher, and you know as we get closer to each season. Um, you know, when I say seasons, you know, each animal that you know coming in their ruts or peak periods, we'll have um we'll have much content on them as we can. So should be good. All right, man. I hope everyone's enjoyed. Good on you, uh, dude. I hope everyone's enjoyed our bouncing round and enjoyed our little bit of a different take on on a hunt. Um, yeah, the semi-live sort of stuff. And on well, some nights we just forgot about it, and other nights we just had nothing to say apart from just grunting because we were that annoyed. But um, yeah, that was. There were some disappointing nights in camp. <laughs> Not so much around what we'd done, but just the weather and stuff so like that. You just Things got were closed. And, just but, wasn't uh, even worth opening the mic up to it <laughs> because it wouldn't have been anything positive come out on the yeah. mic. So. We're, bad, we're bad enough as it is. But, uh, but no, thanks for everyone that uh, that's tuned in and listened to it. Uh, obviously, the ongoing support. Uh, the new platform's been running for a while now and you know we'll, we'll, we'll jump back into the 
the true blue hunting stuff real soon and it's gonna be good. Gonna be good. Onwards and upwards. Absolutely. Who are you going through on the footy? Has that played yet? The footy? Yeah, our footy finished. Don't even start on <laughs> half of that. So. <laughs> I was like a little through yeah. a little bait no, out that's there. Good. That's I why thought... I'm a deer hunter. That's why I'm yeah, a good well... deer hunter because I don't follow sports. So Oh, doesn't sport. follow sports as well. We had to drive <laughs> to town to get service to find out who won the football. Don't follow sports. They, they won that week and then they <laughs> lost on that. So. Who do you support? <laughs> Adelaide, Crows, Adelaide Crows or something, isn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, not, no ways, no. No, I'm a deer hunter. I don't follow sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good on you. Yeah. Keep tell, you keep telling yourself that. Yeah. On that note, thank you, Josh Rogers. Stay classy, Australia. Over and out. You. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down on a podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.